0: Just go to Indeed.com/slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire.
1: What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye, hitting the solo recap of the Nets' loss to the Cavs, 115-109, four-game losing streak. The Nets cannot get to that 40-win mark. We're gonna jump to that and plenty more. Make sure you check the Buzz on all streaming platforms. Also, go follow on Instagram at Brooklyn Buzz But looking at this game, you know it started the way the Nets wanted it to. They won that first cro- quarter, 30 to 23. Claxton Bridges really came out with good energy, and it looked like the Nets were gonna have a competitive matchup with the Cavs second quarter and third quarter come around and the Cavs are essentially dominating the game you know walking to the fourth quarter with a double-digit lead and really feeling comfortable you know a fourth quarter run from the nets gave them a chance to cut it Close at the end, but really the Cavs are always in control this one. And a, a big reason why was the offensive stagnation and the defensive issues. You know, in that first quarter, we saw them trap a lot of Cavs pick and rolls, and that led to some turnovers and some easy buckets in transition. Now, that second and third quarter, that did not work. The Cavs were breaking down that trap, finding the open man. The rotations were not crispy. You know, they were making bad decisions, coming off players that probably should not be left open and sticking to guys that should should have been left open you know specifically looking at isaac okoro you know a guy like him on the floor you're gonna let him shoot as many times as he wants as many threes as he wants you know instead of giving guys like donovan mitchell uh Jetty Osmond open threes. And that's that was really a big reason that's lost this game was the three ball. You know, 14 of 29 for the Cavs at 48%. The Nets, on the other hand, shot nine of 33 at 27%. A lot of guys shot poorly from three. We're talking Mikel Bridges, 0 of eight. Spencer Dinwiddie, 1 of five. Royce O'Neal, 2 of seven. Uh, just, just not getting it done. And we've talked about for the last month how three point. Variation was going to dictate a lot of nets, wins, and losses. And that's been the case. You know, over this four game stretch, they've really struggled from three. And they're not generating enough offense in other ways. And obviously some of that's just limitations to the roster, limitation of the skill sets they have, some of it probably being coaching and the fact that this team was thrown together in mid-February rather than having an offseason and training camp to really work on things. And in a night where the Cav- the Nets even outscore the Cavs in the paint, 55- 54-44, It wasn't enough. You know, the Nets beat the Cavs in second chance points 19 to 10. Still wasn't enough. Fast break points 15 to 9 in favor of the Nets. And really, it ultimately came down to three-point shooting. And that was a huge factor for the Cavs in this game and a big reason they won. And obviously, you know, having a star player like Donovan Mitchell and, you know, a good role player in Karis Levert who got hot in this one. It's something the Nets don't necessarily have, or guys are not playing at that level currently. You know, you look at a lot of these matchups with teams around the same level as the Nets, it feels like those teams feel confident they can win on most nights against this team. You know, they understand what they need to do and how a double digit lead really feels good because of some of the offensive stagnations that this unit goes through. You know, you look, as I mentioned, that second quarter scored 25 points, that third quarter scored 23 points. You know, it's going to be tough to win games, especially when the other team is so hot from three. And again, this is a bigger issue than a one game thing. This is kind of now more of a, a, a constant theme, you know, given, as I mentioned, the limitations of the roster, the limitations of the, the current scheme for in-season stuff, the Nets are just having a hard time. And Mikel Bridges has cooled off a little bit. I think the workload is starting to catch up to him. Looking at his game, finished with 18 points, 9 of 21 from the field, 0 of 8 from three, four rebounds, one assist, two turnovers, minus 16. I think obviously the 0 of 8 from three really sticks out. It feels like he's been automatic from the corner, from the Nets, since he's joined this team and tonight missed a ton of open looks, including some potential big shots in that fourth quarter that could have made the game even a little bit tighter. Like I mentioned, it kind of feels like the workload is catching up to Mikel because defensively, I thought he wasn't very good in this game. Obviously, Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, two guys very hard to stay in front of. But he also made some poor decisions, I thought, defensively in this one that just didn't ultimately help the team. And the Nets need him to be really good. You know, this is a team that doesn't have necessarily a superstar. Mikkel is viewed as the Nets' best player and, you know, back-to-back, not, I don't want to say bad games, but below average games for the standard he set in Brooklyn, it's going to be tough to win unless the other guys are really having huge nights. And no one on this team really had a huge night other than the centers. You know, I thought Nick Claxton and Dayron Sharp were probably the Nets' two best players in this one. Dayron had arguably his best game as a pro. Finished plus twenty-seven in nineteen in tw- essentially twenty minutes. Had twenty points, eight of twelve from the field, one of one from three, three of four from the free throw line, eleven rebounds, nine offensive, two steals, two blocks. I mean, this was the best he's looked, you know. Especially because this was against a good front court in Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, and you really saw Deron Sharp utilize his size and his strength and really created space on the boards and found ways to be impactful. And you know. I think you could even argue he's found a better chemistry with Spencer Downey on the pick and roll than Nick Claxton has already. And obviously that's more to do with the chemistry between the players rather than, you know, skill sets. But De'Ron, you know, made some strides in this game. Will it mean anything moving forward? We'll find out. You know, I think there'll be more opportunities for him to play over this final stretch of the season. Obviously they did sign Moses Brown to a 10-day contract. Maybe that motivated Dayron Sharp seeing, you know, Brown and Nerland Snowell brought in. Sharp understanding that you know there's some pressure on him to be impactful this season and how it could you know help his progress as a pro but really uh, a lot of energy effort and I thought defensively was solid in this game and I think over the course of the entire season there has been many times where you know you could say De Run had a solid defensive game so props to him and obviously I haven't been the biggest sharp believer but this Goes a long way if he can put together, you know, a couple good games before the season ends. But uh, over to the starting center, Nick Claxton, finished with 13 points, 6 of 10 from the field, 1 of 1 from the free throw line, 8 rebounds, 3 assists, 1 steal, 1 block, 2 turnovers. I thought Clax was really good. You know, he was minus 33, but that felt more like a component of the pieces he was on the floor with. It just feels like the offense gets so disorganized and stagnant at times, uh, a lot with the starters too, where there's just stretches where, you know, nothing is happening. It's dribble handoff from Clax to Cam Johnson who dribbles the ball, passes to the Spencer he dribbles some ball, ends up taking a shot, you know, late in the shot clock. You know, there's just no rhyme or reason to what they're doing offensively at times. And obviously I think that impacts a player like Claxon, who's, you know, having his best attacks off advantages created by other players, be it the pick and roll, be it, you know, guys uh, winning one-on-ones off the dribble. And as I mentioned before, you know, his chemistry with Spencer Dinwiddie right now is still developing in a lot of those situations. And it feels like sometimes the struggle is Dinwiddie and Clax, their best skills, I think athletically, is their speed in comparison to their opponent. And they're both kind of rushing to get to the rim and really it kind of almost defends them both with just one player because you're seeing Claxon get there so quick and Dinwiddie's trying to do the same thing. You know, with Sharp, it's a little bit of a, a slowdown stagger at times and getting those drop-off passes or going into the opposite direction of Dinwiddie. And it kind of has allowed him to set up for some more, more things. And obviously we know Clax is a, a lob catcher. Dinwiddie, not his best skill. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate But moving over to Spencer, finished with 19 points, 6 of 15 from the field, 1 of 5 from 3, 6 of 8 from the free throw line, 5 rebounds, 11 assists, 2 turnovers, and was plus 12. I think it was a solid game for Dinwiddie, not an amazing game. You know, the shooting 6-15 is not ideal. You'd love to see him maybe shoot a little better from 3, but you love the 11 assists, you love the 8 free-throw attempts, and I thought he did a good job of trying to find a balance of when to attack and when not to attack. And given, you know, the team was struggling offensively, I thought, especially in that fourth quarter And late in that third, he really picked it up and went into attack mode, trying to get into the paint and find opportunities to score. You know, he was good enough for the Nets to win this game. As I mentioned, I thought, you know, Sharp, Klax, Dinwiddie, and probably Royce O'Neal were good enough for the Nets to win this game. And Royce finished with 12 points, 4-9 from the field, 2-7 from three, 2-4 from the free throw line, 8 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 blocks. Did have 4 turnovers, which wasn't great. And you know some of those being just bad decisions. But overall, I thought Royce had some solid moments and just was part of that unit that made a run late in the third and early in the fourth to kind of close this game and give the Nets an opportunity to make a— uh, Somewhat of a push, you know, I wouldn't say a realistic comeback, but maybe a lucky comeback. And those were guys that were just out there doing what they needed to do, as we touched on. Mikel Bridges, not his best night. Cam Johnson really didn't pick it up until the fourth quarter. You know, finished with 16 points, four of 11 from the field, two of four from three, six of six in the free throw line. Did have three rebounds, four assists, one steal, one turnover. I think one thing I'd love to see from Cam Johnson is looking for him to attack smaller players. You know, the Cavs elected to put Darius Garland on him most of this game, and he wasn't really able to take advantage of that. Uh, I thought more in the fourth, he was just attacking a lot of closeouts and getting into the paint and trying to get to the rim or get to some of that, those in-between shots. Uh, Cam has definitely been all over the place over the course of the last two weeks. It felt like early on that we were going to see – know an offensive surge from him not to the same level Mikel Bridges but maybe you know raising himself in terms of an offensive tier it's kind of just been all over the place it feels like maybe his confidence has taken a hit he's been more hesitant you know I'd love to see him probably take more pull-ups from two maybe that's something he's hearing from the Nets coaching staff but given the way they've been so stagnant you know he's a guy that does have talent and maybe could be expanded into a bigger role at times but also some of that is him being more aggressive and taking to care of those opportunities over to joe harris played about 20 minutes in this game uh, six points two of four from the field two of four from three four rebounds two assists overall you know solid game from joe not necessarily a huge impact either way which you could probably say is a positive because it didn't feel like he was getting demolished defensively i thought he had a couple good rotations and was okay on that end of the floor but you know decent game for joe harris Uh, Yuta Watanabe, we saw play 11 minutes in this one, finished with zero points, four rebounds, one assist, one steal, one turnover, and got posterized by Donovan Mitchell, uh, as bad as it really can come. Uh, Yuta didn't necessarily have his best game. I thought he had some struggles defending Karis Avert with kind of his herky-jerky nature, allowed him to get to the free throw line a couple times, and wasn't really necessarily involved offensively. Uh, Seth Curry, zero points, 0-3 from the field. A lot of those were bad shots. I uh, did have one assist and defensively was not good in this one. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith played about 17 minutes, finished with five points, two of six from the field, one of three from three, two rebounds, and did have one steal. I think with Dorian Finney-Smith, the offensive struggles are showcased more given the Nets as a team are struggling. You know, if they were playing better or this is, you know, the the KD and Kyrie Nets, Dorian Finney-Smith not playing well offensively is, not that big a deal. You know, you're not asking him to do much. He's probably sitting in the corner a lot more, not being involved in some of these actions, but instead, you know, it's more highlighted because of the overall struggle of the team and him being on the floor and making some bad decisions offensively with his passing. And also obviously not being able to knock down shots. So, Uh, Overall, just not a good game. You know, the team has not necessarily been playing good basketball. And I think this is not super surprising given the talent level. You know, they're at a talent level where they have good players, they have guys that can really shine on certain nights, but they also lack chemistry, they lack an offseason, they lack a training camp, there's not much cohesion. There's a doesn't seem like there's perfectly defined roles offensively and what guys should be doing. And there's not just not enough going on at that end of the floor for them to be great. And especially with the lack of, like I mentioned the talent and skill sets to have uh, a really functioning offense in 2023. They, they lack the playmakers. They lack the creation. You know, they don't necessarily have those tough shot makers. They don't have a ton of rim pressure. And then I think you look at the defensive end of the floor is, They have a ton of talent on that end of the floor, but there's no cohesion and there's not necessarily a scheme that they feel at this time is perfect. You know, over the course of the last three weeks, we've seen them play, you know, a variation of switching, drop coverage. Tonight we saw trapping, we saw zone. It's like they're not very sure in the communication, decision-making on that end of the floor. So a lot of the mental stuff defensively is holding this team back. And it also hurts is you're subbing some guys in off the bench that are just poor defenders. And if your your identity as a team is to be very good defensively having some of these bad defenders come in the game who aren't lighting it up well offensively, now you know you're having negative negative on both ends of the floor. So it's really just a lot of push and pull with this team. I uh, it's probably going to be frustrating, you know, throughout the rest of the season. We'll pr- most likely see some really nice wins, but also some more tough losses like this four game losing streak. And now the Nets match up with the Cavs again on Thursday. They're going to see the heat this weekend on Saturday, a lot of big games, you know, a lot of opportunities for the Nets to maintain their spot in the standings currently have a half game lead on the heat. So that game on Saturday is going to be huge. The game Thursday against the Cavs is going to be huge. Given tonight's loss. Now the Cavs are six games up on the Nets with about uh, anywhere from nine to 10 games remaining for, you know, those teams and, that's, it seems like a lock that they'll be at the very best a fifth seed, but most likely a sixth seed or in that play-in tournament. We'll see how it all kind of progresses. If guys can find a rhythm, get back on track, and just, you know, play competitive basketball for four quarters. Because right now we're seeing some good quarters where, you know, we saw a good first quarter. We saw a good fourth quarter, but we saw a terrible second and third. and. The Nets are a team that they just can't afford to have those terrible quarters. If they're going to have a below average quarter and lose by five or six, that's okay. But getting beat by double digits in back-to-back quarters, it's going to be tough for this team to win and beat another playoff team. But appreciate everybody listening. As always, you can find The Buzz on all streaming platforms. And as I mentioned, give us a follow on Instagram at BrooklynBuzzPod.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time.